Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Professor Fancel is the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Social and Health Sciences at Monash, South Africa, and Adjunct Professor of History and International Studies at Monash University in Australia. She specializes in the history of South Africa's nuclear weapons program. She's previously lectured a course on arms control and disarmament and supervises a number of graduate students in related fields. She's a partner in the Nuclear Proliferation International History Project, and she joins me now in studio on the importance of remembering Hiroshima and Nagasaki, as well as how we can avoid a future attack. Professor Van Weyck, welcome. Thank you very much. And thank you for schlepping from the West Rand across the world <laughs> to, to Hive M on a Friday afternoon. It's very brave. Thank you. Um, Professor Van Weyck, seven, well, firstly, what is your study, what is your interest in nuclear studies? How come that captured your attention? Sure, I have to go back a long way, um, probably to high school years. Um, in matric, both in science and in my history class in matric, we, we dealt in the history class with the bombing of, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, for example, you know, and the arms race that developed after the Second World War. Um, subsequently, um, you know, with the USA and the Soviet Union taking the lead in the nuclear arms race. And at the same time, in the, in the science class, we also, through physics, um, you know, learned quite a lot about how a nuclear weapon actually works. So that fostered a bit of a, you know, of an interest in me in such a way that I built a, um, a prototype, but just from a two liter Coke bottle and oh. some other stuff that I could find to resemble the things that you put inside, you know, for a science project that we had in matric. So fast forward to my <laughs> PhD. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> it was quite fun. I must, I must admit. Did, um, it, did it explode? Did you have no, 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 no. It, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have. Yeah. It was just, you know, plastic, um, components and stuff that I used in there. But so that one can see actually how an atomic bomb works. And then fast forward to my undergrad years and postgrad, I was quite quite um, interested in the arms embargoes against South Africa and how South Africa managed to circumvent that during the apartheid years. And a component of my PhD was on South Africa's weapons program, nuclear weapons program. So afterwards people started asking me questions and I thought, okay, there's, there's still a lot to be written about that. So let me pursue this. And um, I've been doing that ever since. It's been... Well, it's about 12 years now. South Africa was very good post-democracy in disarming its nuclear programs. Yes. Um, obviously, it's it, other countries are not as willing to do so. Yes. What countries have nuclear or are thought to have nuclear arms? Okay. Um, to backtrack a little bit, um, the South African decision to dismantle was taken between 1989 and 1991. Uh, so it was so before democracy. It was before democracy. So it was in that period of, you know, where things were really going bad for the apartheid government. Um, and they just simply had to let go of the nuclear program because it was a program that they never had any use for, if you right. think about it. Um, they, they used it as a deterrent. Today, I mean, if you look at prior to 1967, it's of course the five um, members of the United Nations Security Council. They all tested. It's the United States, the United Kingdom, then France, China, and of course Russia. Um, subsequent to 1967, you have um, 1974, India. Um, 1998, you have India and Pakistan both testing. And then North Korea testing its first weapon in 2006. 
And of course, it's, it's widely speculated that Israel, you know, has a secret nuclear weapons program that has never been confirmed. But that basically it went from five prior to 1967 to about nine nuclear states now. And when we look at the countries that have the nuclear states, should we be worried? Sure. During the Cold War, um, if I can use the example of the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think subsequent to the Second World War with the Cuban Missile Crisis in the early 1960s, there was the same type of scenario that's currently playing out with North Korea and the United States. It was the same type of thing that played out um, in, in, in that time as well. So it first became, you know, discovering the weapons that the Soviet Union was placing in Cuba. And then, you know, there were lots of threats in terms of actual military action, which then culminated into negotiations. Um, the, the, the thing with North Korea and, and the United States at the, at the moment is quite a war of words, right. you know, and there's a lot of threats. Right. Um, North Korea would be, it would be national suicide for them if they were to launch a nuclear missile in the direction of the United States or any United States territory because um, the type of weapons that the United States have would obliterate North Korea in the blink of an eye. So um, it, it, it is the one day I think, yeah, this might culminate in a nuclear war. If there was ever an, another nuclear war, That's where it, would, it be. would probably be between these two countries. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, they're also reluctant to go that next step, um, knowing you know, just that, that entire area that would be devastated. Well, it's just, it's not just exactly North Korea that would be obliterated. It might be the entire region. And, and yes. in a way, that brings us to the exhibition um, yes. that you spoke at, mm. which is um, the Atomic Bomb and Human Rights. And yeah. um, also speaking at the exhibition was a Miss Watanabe from Japan, who herself was a second generation um, survivor of Hiroshima. And she showed videos. What she did is actually give it a human face. You know, yes. we all know the mushroom. Absolutely. But we don't know what was happening yes. under the mushroom. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about her experiences, and because I know you heard her speak yeah. often. I was, um, you know, I was, I was very moved by actually speaking to somebody whose family, both her parents, lived in Hiroshima at the time that the city was bombed. She was born eight years later, um, and I was very moved by also in personal engagements with her. But what she shared that evening at the Holocaust Center what her experiences was growing up in a city that was so devastated in the first place. And secondly, you know, people's lives that were affected so much and that they for years didn't want to talk about the horror that they saw on those two days that it happened in 6 August 1945, Hiroshima, three days later, um, Nagasaki. Um, so for the first time, I actually came face to face to somebody who experienced the horrors of a nuclear war. And by giving you that, that, that human face, I think the message that we want to, you know, carry out is even though there's a lot of posturing and no subsequent nuclear war that came after 1945, um, it is so important that we, that we hear these stories, that we see the exhibition, that we see how people were affected by this. So her, her, her own personal story, I think, just spoke to me in a, in a very deep way in terms of the things that she experienced and how she's now dedicated her life to make sure that that memory, you know, never, never fades. We're going to pick up on keeping that memory alive. Um, mm. We're just going to take a short break, but before then... Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. 
and I'm talking to Professor Anamarch van Veek, who is the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Social and Health Sciences at Monash, South Africa. She was also a guest speaker at the recent opening of the Hiroshima exhibition that is being hosted by the Holocaust and Genocide Center. Um, we were talking just before the break, Professor. Um, one of the things that uh, Ms. Watanabe spoke about is the sense of pride that she had that Hiroshima was quickly rebuilt, and Nagasaki mm. too. But yet the devastation and the fear in terms of what she was saying, her parents were scared when her mother mm. felt pregnant, would this child be normal? And she kind of laughed and said, I mm. am. And mm. clearly not only is she normal, she's super <laughs> bright. But um, <laughs> that kind of fear mm. that people constantly live with. Mm. Yeah, I was... Um I was quite moved by that. Um, I think, um, you know, even when she had children later in her life, um, there was probably that same that same fear yeah. again. Um, look, if you if you if you look at the devastation of of Hiroshima, um, and between Hiroshima and Nagasaki, hundred and twenty thousand people, you know, literally obliterated in the blink of an eye, um, and there was nothing left of the of the core of where the the, the the bomb exploded in the air, but the devastation because of the shock wave. And because of the fire, of course, leveled the city for, for kilometers on end. So I think there's that, that thing that Japan, you know, hit back. Um, mm. And they, they rebuilt pretty quickly. Um, as a nation, they stood out of the ashes and they decided, okay, we're going forward. We're going to rebuild. It's like a new life for us. Um, but at and the you same have time, to admire yeah. Japanese culture and nation because they, yeah. they came out. They are such a superpower today. Yeah. Without arms. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you look at, um, there's a photo that I showed at the exhibition at the end of my talk there that showed, um, Hiroshima within a month. You see the devastation in the background. In the foreground, you see the children sitting at little school desks. And I admire, I admire that so much. You know, that they, they were devastated and it, it, it of course meant also the end of the war, you know, for Japan at that time. So I have to admire just where they, where they had come from since 1945, and they one of the top technological powers in the world. Um, but at the same time, they still that face of humanity, you know, that they still have to, they don't forget about what had happened to them. And and Miss um, Watanabe is now a, almost like a peace activist. Yes, that's correct. Um, trying to create a sense of what devastation, and, and I think what you said is, should there be a nuclear I know what I call the word, um, tension <laughs> between North Korea and the United States. Japan may very well be affected yes. again. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you look at what North Korea is doing in terms of testing its missiles, um, every time they direct those missiles in the direction of Japan, doesn't matter where they launch it from in North Korea, it always falls in the sea of Japan, you mm. know. Um, so obviously, um, Japan might also see that as a threat. You know, against not only their sovereignty, but but maybe a, you know a threat against. Wow, we don't want to go through this a second okay. time. Now, Japan never developed nuclear weapons, yes. but um, it is it is an ally of the United States, um, and by virtue of that, they're under the nuclear umbrella of the United States. But if I was a if I was a you know a normal civilian Japanese today, I, I would be concerned about what was happening on the other side of the Sea of Japan. Do you so, think? You know, I would too. Yeah. Um. Um, saber rattling is always very, very worrying. Yeah. And when you look at the presidents of 
both countries. You kind Correct. Of, Absolutely. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is, did America know the full devastation of an atomic bomb? Do you think they only learned it after it was dropped? And do you think they would have dropped it had they known? I mean, I know it's an unfair question. I'm just curious. <laughs> that's a that's a very yeah. It's a controversial question. Um, I, I can go on the facts, um, and maybe the facts can speak for itself without you know actually committing to saying yes. The United States was was guilty. I mean, if you look at um, scarcely a month before the bombing of Hiroshima, the first ever at, um, successful atomic explosion happened in a remote desert in New Mexico in the United States. Um, those witnessing the explosive power of that test must have surely seen, you know, the, the, the effect of the shockwave as well as the effect of the, of the fire that followed, that intense, that intense fire that, you know, we, the pictures that we saw, it's even people sitting on a step, you know, um, it's the, the shadow is still there of that intense heat that just burned it into mm. the... Mm. So a month later they drop a bomb on Hiroshima. They saw the devastation because they were flying all over Japan with the B-29 bombers all the time. You know, they were busy bombing Tokyo with, with conventional weapons. So they must have seen the devastation in, in Hiroshima. Um, and three days later, you know, they still decided to do, to do the same to Nagasaki. Did Hiroshima give the Japanese enough time, you know, to, um, to surrender for the war? That, that I think is debatable. Um, after Nagasaki, of course, within a couple of days after Nagasaki, J- Japan surrender. So on the one side, the United States, I don't know, they might have thought that this is the only way that we're going to end this war, you know, in Asia, because the war in Europe was done. But in the Pacific, it was still ongoing, and it was costing everybody just so so many lives mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I don't know if they really suspected that the devastation would be would be that big. I don't know. In, in during the during the Korean War um, between 1950 and 1953, they were actually considering using a nuclear again. weapon again on the north. And again, later on in the Vietnam War, that ju- just didn't end and go the way that America wanted it to go. Um, you know, they they also had plans to use a nuclear weapon, but decided against that. So it might be in both of those cases that because of the devastation in Japan, it wasn't they felt again. you know as a first attack weapon. We shouldn't use it. We can use it to retaliate. Yes, if somebody attacks us with a, with a nuclear bomb, maybe that would be, you know, a good enough reason for them to retaliate with a weapon like that. Would you like to see a complete disarmament? Yes. Is that what you would be advocating for? Yes, I would. A nuclear disarmament, definitely. Um, only, okay, there's a caveat there. Only if it means that the security of a state, you know, um, can be can be secured without such a weapon as a deterrent, and you know, um, if I may, if I may refer to Israel. Yes. So Israel. <laughs> it's what we're all thinking yes, about right exactly. now. <laughs> I mean, Israel has never actually said they have nuclear weapons, but it's such a powerful deterrent to think that they have. Yes. And I think everybody kind of like yeah. suspects that they do have yeah. it. It's a powerful deterrent. It keeps states from, you know, attacking them full out. Because they don't know how Israel is, for example, going to retaliate. In the case of Pakistan and India, they both develop nuclear weapons to be a deterrent for one another. So um, if one of them... Stood down. Yeah, and, and with all the tensions that has been between Pakistan and India over the past few years, I honestly think it's because of that deterrent that they haven't gone to a full-out war. Sure. Um, so... In many cases, the only reasons why states have nuclear weapons it's still today self, is because of yeah, it's self-defense, national security, 
you know, that, 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 that thing that, and, and I think that is what's, what's keeping the whole thing between you and the United States <laughs> the and balance. North Korea at the, at the, at the point where it is now. It's, it's this thing of mutually assured destruction, you know. You don't dare attack me because <laughs> you don't know what I have in my arsenal. I can, I can easily retaliate. Oh, willpower. Yeah. well, power. Um, Professor Van Rijk, we have to leave it there. But sure. I'd like to thank you again for slipping across. I'd like to thank you Great for pleasure. being my guest. I'd like to say I enjoyed hearing you speak at the thank exhibition you. and I would like to urge everybody to go and visit the exhibition. It's on for a few more days, literally, um, but it is worth while worth while seeing. Thank you very much. That Thanks. was Professor Anamart van der Weyck talking about the nuclear bomb.